Marriage is a wonderful gift given to us by God for our good, the good of our children, and ultimately the good of the world. And yet, despite this, marriage is sometimes hard, and we often have questions. What's the ultimate purpose of marriage? Does the Bible really tell wives to submit to their husbands? How can couples cultivate a marriage marked by grace and forgiveness? In our interview today, I'm talking with Chad and Emily Van Dixhorn, the husband and wife team behind the new book, Gospel-Shaped Marriage, Grace for Sinners to Love Like Saints, from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Chad and Emily, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway podcast. Well, thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Today, I wanted to go through a number of quick questions that people often have, that we all have about marriage, whether we are single and wanting to be married, maybe recently married, or have been married for a long time. Uh, There's so much to marriage, and it can be sometimes confusing. We might not know how to think about or handle a certain situation. Chad, how would you summarize the Bible's big overarching teaching on the meaning and the purpose of marriage? Because I think that's something that we sometimes maybe assume that we know or understand, but if we were asked, tell me, you know, simply, what is marriage for? We might struggle to actually give a definition, and certainly in the broader culture, I think there's a lot of confusion about why marriage exists and what it's for. So how would you summarize that? Well, well, it's it, going back to the garden, we see it's for mutual support and companionship. Uh, we can figure out from Genesis 1 and 2, it's for, for the reproduction of the human race after the fall. Uh, it's also for the promotion of sexual purity. And, and marriage is a way in which uh, it's, it's, it's one context in which we can uh, multiply our usefulness as Christians and encourage each other in the, in the race, in the Christian race as we, as we run together. So marriage is a help in sanctification and glorifying God. And uh, so mar- marriage is, is for that. And in, uh, in the context of the church, uh, the marriage is also designed as a place where the church can grow. Christian parents having children, raising them in the Lord. So, so there's that extra purpose for Christians. And marriage is, you know, going beyond a definition, marriage is also a context for some unique things, and, and that includes sexual activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so those are just a, a few a few thoughts about, about marriage. Yeah. Emily, uh, the, the New Testament also then continues and expands on what we see in the Old Testament laid out in Genesis and other places. And, and Paul in particular says some really important things about marriage and what it's, what it's meant to do for us, what we're supposed to think about when we think of marriage. I wonder if you could unpack a little bit of what we see there. Well, marriage also pictures the relationship between Christ and the church in a mysterious way. Christ is the head The church is the body. Uh, Christ is the groom. The church is the bride. We have this loving relationship with Christ that is pictured in marriage. And we get to portray some of that mystery by being a married couple following God's order. Hmm. Well, and that leads to another question, Emily, that I wanted to ask you. How should Christians think about men and women's roles in marriage, the distinct uh, positions that we each occupy and how we're supposed to live that out. Because again, I think that's another topic that in our culture today, uh, there's a lot of different opinions about what that should look like. And maybe there's often even a questioning of any kind of distinctive roles that men and women, a husband and a wife should play in the marriage relationship. What would you say about that? 
my, yeah, I'd, I'd like to say, first of all, the Bible is clear that both men and women are made in God's image. That's clear. We are both have equal dignity before God. And there are still unique roles that we play and both have dignity in them, that the husband is the head and it's not lovely when there's two heads. If there is an image I have pulled up before to remind me of this, of a snake with two heads. I do not want to be the second head. And the the wife is the body. And I prefer the image of Simone Biles and how her the body and the head work so beautifully together to God's glory in the amazing things that she does as a gymnast. And other athletes show this. And so I want our marriage to be, in a sense, athletic. I like sports, and I want the head and the body to work well together. And that means the body's got to submit. I don't want to fight back against him. Now, he, as a husband, does seek to understand me He doesn't force me to do things that I don't want to do. So we work in a harmonious way. And that's why sometimes an an image is worth a thousand words. So I like to think of an athlete working together. So Chad, I wonder if you could speak to maybe some of the dangers that uh, we can face on two sides of of the road. On the one side, what are some of the dangers of overemphasizing the differences of our roles in marriage? and the differences between a husband and a wife. And on the other side, what would you say are the dangers associated with downplaying those differences and acting like, you know, there is no distinction there? So so people who like to talk a lot about the differences, husbands who especially like to talk constantly about submission, tend to flatten out the dynamics of a relationship. They're, They're seeking a kind of uncomplicated way to look at life, a bit like parents who view every problem with their children as having to do with respect. And it leads to a kind of unnuanced and unhelpful approach to relationships. I think that it's most helpful for us when we're thinking about our differences to think about how we can use our differences to to glorify God and bless each other and not how to use those to triumph over one another, to win, to argue, and more. That's obvious. But some things are so obvious that and, and important that they still need to be said. The undermining of differences leads us to headless marriages, the kind of thing that Emily is talking about, where there's a refusal to acknowledge that the Lord has built a structure into a marriage, that there is leadership, uh, that there is headship. We don't always agree with one another, but there are times when, and I would say not very often in our marriage, but there are times when uh, a decision needs to be made. And we can't just kind of punt it back and forth endlessly or be arbitrary and, and, and who takes the responsibility for that. So uh, su- submission, a kind of respect and serving of one another. This is a dirty word in our culture, but it's a blessing as the Lord has uh, intended it, as the Lord constructs it. There's, there's mutual submission, but we also need to remember that uh, a wife is especially called to excel in this grace mm. and the Lord blesses her in it. Yeah, I wonder if you could unpack that briefly because I think in in certain circles we hear a lot about a wife's calling to submit to her husband and a husband's calling to love his wife. But there is also, as you said, clear teaching in Scripture that both husbands and wives submit to one another in a sense. Uh, unpack that. How should we understand that ex- exhortation in Scripture in light of the distinctive roles that God has given us? Yeah. 
So, so I, early in our marriage, we, we picked up uh, a used copy uh, of, a, of an old tome by a Puritan named William Googe. He doesn't get everything right. Of course, neither do we. Uh, but he had some important insights. The thing that we latched onto was his observation, being a Puritan, he discusses this at length, that the, the rules of husband and wife and parent and child and employer-employee or uh, master and servant are all prefaced by this call, part of the standard package of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, for Christians to submit to one another. And so he, he looks at these three relationships, not removing the distinctions between husband and wife and our own responsibilities, but he says this somehow has to inform what the Apostle Paul is saying. Well, one example where this does, where we see this, is, is in, in, children being told to uh, obey their parents, but then the father's being told, don't exasperate your children. Uh, there he sees a kind of mutuality, a concern for one another. The, the Apostle Paul, God himself, of course, designs for us each to hear one another's responsibilities and duties. And uh, he does that not so that uh, I can bless Emily by reminding her constantly uh, that, that she has certain responsibilities towards me, but so that I can say, well, what's her call? If her calling is to honor me, to respect and submit to me, how can I sweeten that? How can I make that as easy as possible? And Gooch says, try and avoid asking her to do anything that she doesn't want to do. Try and do as much of that as you can yourself. Try and understand what's most difficult for her and see how much of that burden you can lighten or remove. Um, and, and, and then vice versa. If, uh, if I'm supposed to love my wife, what can Emily do to, to make that easier for me? Uh, how could she uh, lighten that load for me? Although Emily is not a, it's not a load in our marriage, but how, how, how could she sweeten that task? And so he, he just constantly thinks about this. He has little charts and so on. And we just kind of ran with that. We talk about mutual submission, but then we talk about how grace is operative in a marriage, especially when I have an eye to her duties, not to preach to her, uh, not, not to bless her by reminding her what they are, but to bless her by by uh, sweet, sweetening her tasks and duties and callings. And it's such a beautiful vision that Scripture first, but as you say, Googe and others uh, lay out for the kind of intentionality and service mindset that we want to have towards one another in marriage. Um, there's a story in the book that illustrates this well. I wonder, Emily, if you could tell us a little bit about the early morning orange juice incident, or emoji as you call it for short. What happened there? And then I'd, I'd love to hear Chad you explain what you learned through that. All right. So, as I recall, we were married for a while. He asked me in his very loving, caring, sweet way, Emily, would you like some ice in your orange juice? So I asked him, I said, Chad, how long have we been married? And he said, 11 years. So, so, Chad, really quick, alarm bells are probably going off in your head at this point. You get that oh, question? Oh, yes, de de definitely. Yeah, the sweet question uh, triggered high state of, state of alert, uh, and uh, alertness said, with me. Yeah. Have I ever said yes? No, I, th I, th oh. I think you said, oh, have yes. you asked this question before? Have you asked this before? question before? And he said, oh, yes. <laughs> he asked me about every day. And... I said, have I ever said yes? And he said, actually, no, 
No, you haven't. Although, although later it occurred to me that I think she asked for everything at least once when she's pregnant. But basically, I had been totally insensitive, just not paying attention to her, not really getting to, not studying her well enough. I mean, it's a pretty obvious thing here. Uh, it's a pretty pretty low hanging fruit, but really just not reflecting I'm, on who she is, what her joys are. Where her you would know that you would know, like uh, uh, a bartender knows what the drink is. <laughs> he doesn't not yet know whether I like ice in my orange juice and we've been married for 11 years, but we had good fun with that. You know, we're just, I like setting him up to just tease him a little bit. I will say that. Well, but Emily, speak to that because it is, it is kind of a funny example and in, 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 in the grand scheme of a marriage, a, a very minor moment that that almost could go unnoticed or forgotten. And yet I think many of us uh, who are married have experienced similar things like that, maybe maybe mostly men, but probably some wives as well. Uh, and it, it kind of does get at a deeper reality and a deeper thing that is important. So Emily, how would you articulate you know, how it made you feel when Chad asked you that question again, a, a genuine question in the moment, but what was going on there in your mind? How did I feel? I- just a little bit like, are you serious? <laughs> Can you really ask me again whether I want ice? Do you really think you're being kind in your kind voice by not really paying attention to me? Um, and I know that he would get a good laugh out of me busting him. <laughs> and so we do that in a playful way. Yeah. Chad, what about you? As you think about that experience, you know, what would be the lesson for husbands as they think about what it means to live with their wives in an understanding way, uh, to know their wives? Uh, what could they learn from that? So, so I think of, of Emily's call to love and respect me, and I think I, I, I would be more lovable and I would be easier. I'd be more respectable. I'd be easier to respect and follow if I was more clued in. And I just think I, I'm making her life harder her Christian life harder if I, I'm just on autopilot when I'm around her rather than being a thoughtful person. And so for me, it's a call to say, wait a minute, what, what else don't I know? Like, do I know her favorite color? Do I know what flowers she likes? How well do I know my wife? We still hear uh, stories about one another and so on from time to time that are new. We've not heard it before. That's kind of fun, but this is pretty basic. Yeah. And so I think I went into maintenance mode and thought, I really need to kind of double down and, and, and work work harder at getting to know my wife and being attentive when I'm around mm, her. That's so good. Uh, and that'll make that'll make her her calling to respect me easier. Yeah. Emily, what does it look like to argue well in a marriage? Because there are going to be those times when we disagree. And that's unavoidable. So what does it look like to argue in a way that honors each other and honors God? Well, Timing is a big deal. Uh, some things need to just be, you need to pause so you're not discussing it in the heat of the moment. Hmm. Wait till the person is well fed. Wait till there's minimal other factors. If the person has a deadline they're approaching, that's not the time to raise uh, a discussion where there's some controversy. So sometimes, is there a time we can? talk about this, make a respectful appeal to talk about something and pray that the Lord would help him understand the issue. 
pray that we would both understand, that I would understand his perspective. So timing, not to speak out of passions, the heat of the moment, but to speak in a measured way. And then and to, I'd say that yeah. Emily works really hard at that. I work really hard at that. I think so. I think you do a great job with that. Well, thank you. I, I, the alternative is just horrible. So I don't find <laughs> like I have to work that hard, but it's just a, a fruitless effort and can lead to bigger arguments. So be patient, be prayerful, and then listen to one another. And then also give the person space to understand their first reaction or his first reaction to what I say may be one where he doesn't quite understand yet what I'm saying, but that's okay. I am not going to force immediate understanding. I will be content just to have presented perspective before him. And then over time, he may say, oh, I, I get it now what you're saying, or, or I agree with this aspect of what you're saying. And, or it just moves forward. So patience and prayer. That's so helpful. Uh, Chad, another one of those issues in marriage that can be really tricky and uh, it maybe can be surprisingly tricky. You think it's going to be easier or more straightforward before you get married, and then you get married and you realize, oh, wow, this is this can be difficult sometimes. relates to sexual intimacy and even conversations about that as a couple. Do you have any advice for how married couples should approach that topic in conversation? How do we, as married couples, talk to one another about those things, things that can, for all kinds of reasons, be very, very sensitive issues? Yeah, a- a- Emily compares it to sort of the closet, just a place where you just don't want to go. It's too messy. You feel hopeless about it. Well, what Emily just said about conflict uh, also applies to to issues of of sexuality and intimacy. It, giving it time, looking for a space, looking for the, for the right space. Uh, y- usually, I would say often these questions are not dealt with best just before, during, or after a time of special intimacy. It needs some space. Uh, when people are not at their most vulnerable. I think as well, before dealing with questions that might relate to problems of intimacy or, or issues in the bedroom, take, taking a kind of good hard look at how, how the rest of the day is going. You know, was, was, is the problem that we're having with intimacy related to the fact that I'm uh, grouchy all day and unhelpful and insensitive and on a kind of much larger scale than ice cubes and orange juice, you know, am I just not reading people in situations well? So step, stepping back, are the problems in the realm of intimacy related to, to, to the fact that we are turning in on ourselves due to a lack of kind of productivity in our marriage? That, that, that's clumsy, but it's the only time we spend together entertainment-based or do we have productive things that we do together? I, I think sometimes, this is just, a, a, Emily, tell me what you think, but I think s- sometimes marriage issues, intimacy issues are partly because someone in the in the house is sort of overanalyzing everything all the time. And maybe sometimes what's needed is just to go spend time with friends so that your attention's not always on each other. Yeah. It, it, it can be too much. 
go out and do something useful, be with friends, and then return. And so, sometimes things just kind of sort themselves out. I don't want to oversimplify, but it, it's a kind of overlooked dimension. Do you resonate with that, Emily? Yes, very much so. Especially with someone in the marriage overanalyzing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't like to overanalyze. There's a place for some conversation, but definitely let's go have a good time together. Let's serve together. Let's do something. It's it's like uh, opening up the windows and getting some fresh air um, and then get the momentum going in, a, in the right direction. That will address some issues. There are some issues that need a counseling office and a, a, a lot of time analyzing things, but not every issue. Yeah, I, I think we've found to our surprise when we we're struggling sometimes, we'd invite people over and have a meal with them. And by the end of that time, our issue just seemed yeah. small or insignificant. Yeah. We were ready to forgive. And uh, just that other person focus was what we needed. Not yet another sit down on the couch and Chad kind of painfully working through everything that it was said and happened. It just something a little bit kind of more, more organic and other person oriented was helpful. Mm. So helpful. Emily, how about in-laws? How should we think about and navigate that notoriously tricky topic? Well, I'm thankful for my in-laws. Um, we just have our my mother-in-law with us today. Again, patience and prayer and humility and thankfulness. You would not have your spouse if it was not for your in-laws. So be grateful. And then each relationship is unique. Depends on what the personality is, what you're dealing with. But go into it with prayer. There is key direction from the Lord to know there's leaving and cleaving. So there is um, a place to say to your spouse, well, to communicate to your spouse that your spouse comes first before your family of origin. And there may be a place to remind your spouse of how you feel if your spouse starts to treat his or her family of origin like that's the priority, then there's that's worth a conversation. Mm. So I wonder if both of you could speak to this. What role should repentance and forgiveness play in a marriage? And, and then beyond kind of the theoretical and Bible answer, the right answer, how do we actually do that in the day-to-day of our lives? I think that's where people, many of us can can struggle, is we don't know how to actually do that repentance and forgiveness. So what would you say to that? Maybe, Chad, we could start with you. Well, that was... I. I think I do most of the sinning, so it's appropriate that you start with me. I think that the grace of repentance and the Holy Spirit's work in leading us to repentance has just been so critical in its importance in our in our marriage. I find that there is a freedom in repenting before God and others. It's a blessed reminder of who Christ is. If I'm remembering what he's done for me, and that my righteousness is found in him, as, by the way, is my wisdom and my dignity and everything else, then it enables me to repent. I've had to repent sort of countless times with Emily. I think it has to be a daily basis where I try and repent particularly. I try and articulate what that must have felt like for her, what I'm going to try and do in the future. Sometimes it's just time to say I'm really sorry. 
uh, or would you please forgive me? But I, you know, there's also time to kind of spell that out. It's sometimes not the best time to spell it out in depth as she's falling to sleep. If she's falling off to sleep, I just try and keep it quick. But uh, just the sensible rule that even if you think you're, you're sort of 2% of the problem, own that 2%, 100%. And by the way, don't mention that number to your spouse. Uh, that, that's, that's really helped us. And I've had to repent at a dinner table in front of all my friends. What, I, I often get into trouble when I'm attempting to be funny. And then I realize, actually, that was a joke at someone else's expense. Oh, that was a joke at Emily's expense. And I, I'll just have to say in front of everyone, you know, by the way, what I said a minute ago was, wasn't kind, wasn't right. It's not fair. Emily, will you please, please forgive me? And she's always done so, thankfully. I've had to repent a lot before we could start our family devotions in the evening. Um, kids, you need to hear this because you saw this. I, I just didn't speak with the kind of respect and thoughtfulness that your mother deserves. Please don't copy me. Emily, please forgive me. This is what I'm going to try and do next time. Emily, can you speak to what it's, what it's like and, and how we can pursue a forgiving spirit, especially when we don't want to? Because that, that's often a challenging thing is, or maybe when someone isn't even repentant, seemingly, they haven't asked for forgiveness. And it can be so easy, especially in a marriage, uh, in that closeness to then, before we know what, be harboring a bitterness or a resentment. And, and so how do you guard against that? Well, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I need a lot of forgiveness, so I better be willing to forgive. The Bible's clear. Um, If I'm stingy with my forgiveness, there's no place for that. There's just, it's biblical. So my forgiving Chad has much more to do with my relationship with the Lord than it has anything to do with Chad. He kind of, it doesn't even really matter what he did. What matters is my relationship with the Lord. And then it's clear. I know I've got to forgive him. There's just no other option. I must say, I can take forever to order something at a restaurant. I A lot of things are not clear for me. But this is clear. Mm. I need to forgive. Mm. So what do you do, Emily, when you know that intellectually, but you're, maybe your feelings aren't following that, that you don't feel like you can move past whatever this hurt might have been? I will at least say the words and, and I will then carry with through with some kind of duty to, and let my heart catch up. Mm. I don't think I'm being unauthentic by stepping forward in the right direction, starting with my words and then taking some action in the direction I want to go with and then giving my heart a little time for the feelings to catch up and get in order. And sometimes there might be a little friendly communication with him. I'm still getting over this, but um, he knows that's a little request for give me a little space. (laughs) Give me a little space as I work this out. And if, if anything, Emily's understating her kindness in that for the first 10 or so years of our marriage, I would sometimes even have to ask for her help in asking forgiveness. I'd say, Emily, I, I know I've done something wrong. It ought to be clearer to me than it is. 
I'm not, I, I actually need remedial help here. Help me to see what it is that I did and help me to know even what I should say right now. And she was so kind as to actually say, well, it'd be meaningful if you'd say this. Mm. Now, you know, 20 years into the marriage, I, I was, I, I shouldn't have been doing that anymore, but, but for many years, she, she was still, even helping me. Yeah, I still help you out a little bit. You and do. Say, and I love, oh, it's appreciative. You know, I, 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 it, I don't do this to other people, but sometimes I say, it would be nice if you would clarify how you're going to act instead. Mm. And he's willing to do that. He takes that not as a nagging from me, but as a help. Yeah. So, Chad, how, on the other side, how do you and what advice would you give to somebody, maybe especially a husband listening, who uh, maybe can sense that her his his wife is feeling hurt or feeling bothered by something, and and he would say, I don't I don't think I did anything wrong. I don't think the way I acted was wrong, but she's clearly upset. Uh, how, how have you navigated that when? you know, someone, one of the spouses would want an apology and the other maybe feels like I I didn't do something. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I'd say about 80% of the time, that is where I, that is where I am at the beginning. I think, you know, really that was just righteous indignation. The angels are on my side here, but I have this sort of sneaking suspicion that's not actually correct. And so it usually involves me going into another room and saying, Lord, help me to open my eyes. Help me to see any area where I, where I could have done better. I mean, even starting there, not just what did I do wrong, but what could I have done better? And that is for me, that's the thin edge of the wedge that kind of gets the rest of the repentance kind of knocked in afterwards. Did, uh, okay, I'm not saying I did anything wrong, but did I, did I handle this situation? Did I speak as well as a Christian could have? And you know, never is the answer. And then that begins, the Lord uses that to begin to soften my heart. I can at least apologize for that. And sometimes even as I'm speaking, or as Emily graciously responds, my heart just begins to melt more and more, which the wedge illustration isn't working anymore. You can't have melting wedges, don't work. But, <laughs> but you, you, you get the idea in spite of the botched metaphors. Absolutely. All right, maybe one final question for both of you. What's one specific thing that you've prayed for your spouse, for the other person recently? Emily, maybe we can start with you. Well, I have different um, specifics I pray for on different days. So Monday as him as a husband, Tuesday for him as a father, Wednesday as a writer and as a worker, anything related to work, Thursday for his health, Friday for his friendships, um, Saturday for him as a steward of his gifts, and Sunday as a child of God. And so different specifics come up in different areas. I'm humbled, almost to the point of tears. I can barely speak. I'm so thankful for that. I pray that the Lord will help Emily as a Christian woman to love him more. I pray that he'll help her as a wife trapped in a difficult marriage (laughs) to be patient with her husband. (laughs) Uh, I pray the Lord will give Emily wisdom as we parent children who get three years older every year. I pray that the Lord will help her to love worshiping him 
and that he will help her as someone who's often given the opportunity to lead prayer meetings, Bible studies, a ladies' conference or something like that, a women's conference. She just has a very fertile mind, and I pray the Lord would help her to use that uh, to his glory. Well, thank you both, Chad and Emily, for uh, sharing a little bit about your marriage and uh, a little bit about how God has taught you and led you in that and answering these common questions that all of us as married couples sometimes have and struggle with, and we appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. That was Chad and Emily Van Dixhorn on marriage. For more, be sure to check out their book with Crossway, Gospel-Shaped Marriage, Grace for Sinners to Love Like Saints. Pick up your copy of the print book for 30% off or get the audiobook or ebook for 50% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.